Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me today is editor Vidi Mancuso. Hello. And deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be talking about Dark Phoenix, the latest X-Men movie. We're going to be giving our thoughts on that. We're also going to talk a little bit about the X-Men franchise as a whole. It's sort of ups and downs, twists and turns. Uh, going to talk about our favorite X-Men movies from the series. And then we'll finish up with Recently Watched. And near the back end of the podcast, we'll get into spoilers a bit about Dark Phoenix for, for folks that haven't seen it. But to start off, it'll be spoiler-free. Um, and so my review is on the site, and I did not care for Dark Phoenix and let it be known. Um, Vinny, what did you think about Dark Phoenix? What did I think of Dark Phoenix? Uh, I can tell you this. Uh, during my screening... Uh, the fire alarm went off during the last five minutes of the film, and my legitimate first thoughts were, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought, I didn't even know what the reason was. I, I thought there was a legitimate fire, and I was like, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. I'll just head out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did not, I'm not a huge fan of Dark Phoenix. And Adam, what about you? I... About 10 minutes into this movie, realized that I was daydreaming and had forgotten to pay attention to what the characters were saying. So I think that, that kind of sums up my reaction. Um, I didn't hate it. Like, it's not a garbage fire. It's just kind of pointless. It's kind of a, a, a like a, a really like wet fart of an ending to this franchise that's like, oh, okay, time for it to die. <laughs> It's not, I mean, it's not as atrocious as something like X-Men Apocalypse, where you're like, oh my god, none of this makes any sense. But there is a lot of stuff where you're like, why is everyone's eye makeup so wonderful all the time? Why does every character look fabulous all the time? Like, all the men are in these muscle shirts. It was just kind of distracting, because you, you feel like the tone of it is trying to be this kind of grounded, like, serious family drama, but then it kind of tries to bring in a bit more of, like, a comic tone. From like maybe the first couple of X-Men movies that doesn't quite gel with whatever else is going on. Um, but my biggest issue with it was what my issue was uh, or one of my issues with X-Men Apocalypse is that I don't know these new characters yet and that it, and thus I don't care about them. I don't know enough about Sophie Turner's Jean Grey to really empathize with her situation. I don't really care for this Scott Summers at all. Um, played by Ty, Ty Sheridan. I kind of think, aside from Sophie Turner, the casting of the the younger X-Men and X-Men Apocalypse was a bit of a bust. Um, and uh, and aside from Evan Peters, I really like him as Quicksilver, but he's barely in this movie. Um, so I just didn't really care about them. And then you have these first-class characters, who I do care about, because I think first-class is really well-made, and, and that really set a great foundation. But it's juggling this ensemble that just doesn't really gel together. It's pretending, like, the opening action sequence is like, isn't it so great to see the team working together? And I'm like, I don't know anything about this storm. Is she Iceman now? What's going on? I don't care. Yeah. I uh, I think maybe my least favorite part of this movie is how Storm has, like, three lines of dialogue throughout yeah. the entire film. And it's like, Storm is a pretty big part of the X-Men, and I feel like Alexandra Shipp is a great, fantastic actress, and she should she should be getting some, some front-line dialogue, but she really, like you said, they just sort of gave her lightning powers, and were like, she'll fix whatever, whatever <laughs> needs the lightning powers. And it's just like, yeah, so that, I think to me, the biggest character failing was Storm. And that's a bummer. 
I did like how Mystique has been like devolved into basically an air traffic controller. Who's just like, Storm, fix those shields. Jean Grey, do this. I don't know if Mystique transformed once over the entire runtime with Dark Phoenix. I'm not sure if she ever was not Jennifer Lawrence. and that's She was always Jennifer Lawrence. She's either blue Jennifer Lawrence or regular Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> but she's either, she's one or the other. She does not actually need to, you know, shapeshift into another person. No. Which is her one power. So. Which is, yeah, it's the one thing. Which is another nitty gritty nitpick that that of this franchise i feel like twice now they've ended these films on like a mutant and proud note where it's like no mystique is always going to be blue and beast is always going to be beast and then they get to the next movie and the actors are like nah i'm not doing that anymore i'm tired (laughs) i don't want to put the makeup on (laughs) they're like okay let's get around it which fair i I understand that but yeah yeah it's just my my big thing is the problem that i felt going into this movie is the one that kind of I, I was worried about it, and then it happened. Which is that in the comics, the Dark Phoenix saga works because Jean Grey is an original X Men from the 1960s. When you get to the 1980s and the Dark Phoenix saga, that's a big deal to say. Here's this kind of pure, innocent character that you love, and first she's going to be Phoenix. She's going to be good, and she's going to like use her powers to help people. But then when she starts going dark, then it becomes a real test. Not just of her, but of her fellow X-Men. You are involved in all these character relationships. And Adam, like you said, I don't know who these people are. And it seems like Simon Kinberg, who who wrote and directed this and who's been sort of the steward of the X-Men franchise since about um, The Last Stand, where he previously attempted Dark Phoenix as a writer, is that he seems to think like because it is a big comic book story... It will therefore translate to a good movie story without realizing like, no, the reason the comic book story works is because the people, the readers cared about these characters. It wasn't just good in a vacuum. It isn't just an inherently captivating story. It's captivating because you are invested in these people without that investment. It's just like, hey, this person went bad and started attacking everyone and like, okay, that's not good. But what what am I supposed to do with that? What's the story here? What's the conflict? What's what are you even trying to tell with this story? And it it really seems like Simon Kingberg's saw, thought process was dur. I like Dark Phoenix dur, and that was the end of it. That's actually the script. It is. <laughs> That's the entirety of the script for Dark Phoenix. No wonder they had to keep I, rewriting it. <laughs> to jump off of that, I feel like one of the biggest failings of the movie is you don't know what the dark phoenix is either it's just sort of this light ball in the sky that gene gene gray sucks up in outer space and then she's just more powerful now and you never get a sense of why yeah is it is 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 the phoenix energy making her more evil is it her past trauma that's making her evil like what is going on exactly here it's never explained and I, it's also never really explained what the villain... Like, there's one scene between Jessica Chastain and another character uh, where it's entirely exposition, and it's at night, and it's in a par- parking lot. And after the movie was over, I was like, oh, I bet that was a reshoot, because they were like, oh, we forgot to explain who the bad guys are and what they're doing. Because it's like, it's kind of a nothing scene. It gives you a little tiny bit of information about, like who the bad guys are and what their motivation is, but still doesn't really make any sense. I didn't even know Jessica Chetain's character had a name until the credits came up. They never say uh, it. They never say her character. 
I'll be honest, I I don't know what her character name is right now. <laughs> it's oh, Vux. V U K. Vux. Vux that. <laughs> speaking speaking of which, their one F bomb made me laugh. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, I, oh that's that's the one. I wonder if that was a reshoot. I wonder if they remembered that they do get one F word and they just brought him <laughs> brought him in. They're like, just say it. Just say the line, then you can leave. <laughs> There's just really, you know, for a film that's supposed to like, and and to be fair, when they started making this, it wasn't clear that Disney was going to buy Fox. So it's not like they thought like, this is the last one, but maybe you should have made it like it was your last one. Because even in a vacuum, like this film, it's not a good Jean Grey story. It's not a good X-Men story. It's not a good Charles Xavier story. It just kind of ping pongs around and... Nothing like where's the momentum? Like what what are they trying to say? What are they trying to sell with this story? Well, and and what makes the Jean Grey story so tragic in even in The Last Stand, which is is not a success in terms of a Dark Phoenix adaptation, but it it's a better I would say it's a better Dark Phoenix than this movie is because in that film you really do feel sad and upset because you've had two other films to understand Scott and Jean's relationship, um, which I think... Before I think she was, obliterates him for doing Superman Returns. Yeah, which... And, and it works, though. It's like, it's emotionally upsetting because you spent two previous films not only getting to know their relationship, but also you... I, I thought it was really smart to... I, I think they... I think they did a good job of uh, really clearly like throwing in Wolverine as this kind of wild card into like that trifecta, that romantic triangle, which made you learn more about each of those characters. And so once you got to Last Stand, like it was upsetting that she was doing these things because you had two other films where you got to know Thamke Jensen as Jean Grey and you cared about her and it was sad. This movie presupposes that you like somehow understand that Charles got Jean Grey when she was a kid and like raised her and you're supposed to care about that and I was like was that part of X-Men Apocalypse like I, I genuinely don't remember if they like seeded that in I was like I thought that the most that they seeded kind of in is that when Jean Grey starts using her powers like a little phoenix appears behind her yeah that's but it. I meant like the the Charles Jean relationship. Oh no, good heavens, no! Because <laughs> okay. I was like, did I miss something? No, but it, also, after, after I, Apocalypse is really more about like it. It's basically two teams. Like there's the first class people, and then like Scott Summers comes along, and he's like, I'm blowing up everything with my eyes, and they're like, We'll help you, Scott. <laughs> oh, yeah. I will say though, the the something I did kind of like, and I don't even know if this was on purpose. It it might not have been, but I kind of like how they started to paint Xavier as this kind of like low-key like not good person that everyone is like that guy and and that guy goes back and that goes back to last stand like i think there is something good there with like look at xavier's like arrogance i think that's a that's a rich thematic vein but they don't know how to handle it and again i don't know if they were even doing it on purpose because at the end they're like (laughs) no xavier like he's been a good guy this whole time it's like no he's he takes in these children and like raises them on his superhero team and sends them to outer space and like that's not right and yeah. i feel like, i feel like the movie presented that but didn't believe it and it, 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 to me i was like yeah make him make make him this very very arrogant person and like he's just sitting there after i don't know if it's a spoiler to say mystique dies that it was in the trailer but he's just it was of, revealed as in entertainment weekly through an interview with <laughs> simon kinberg months yeah, exactly. before the movie came out 
but his reaction to that is 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 not the reaction of a of a good guy. And I just yeah. that to me, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then yeah. of course, like everything else that I said, oh, that's interesting. It it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, it presents a problem without uh, you know this movie is, does not know how to do resolution. It doesn't know how to earn anything that it wants. So it presents a problem, which is that Xavier is arrogant. Xavier likes the limelight. Xavier believe is bought into his own hype. The problem is, is like what humility did he really have to learn? Like what did he really have to go through to change and be a better person? And again, this comes to the problem of this film really has two divergent paths, which is one, it's kind of a Jean Grey story, but you don't really know what Jean Grey wants. And it's kind of an Xavier story, but it's not really forcing him to grow and con- confront things as a person. So it doesn't really succeed on either level. I'll tell you what, it's definitely not a Magneto story, but Magneto is in this movie as well for some reason. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason for him to be in this movie. though. Although, like as is almost always the case, Michael Fassbender is the acting highlight of this movie. Like that's, He does so much with so little. Yeah, Although there is, I don't, I, I, I do not want to get into spoilers quite yet. But there is a moment in this film that is just hilarious to me, and it involves Michael Fassbender. And I don't, I don't know if I can quite capture why it's so funny without diving into spoilers. But... All right, well, we'll get into it in the spoiler section about why that Fassbender scene is funny. Um, yeah, I just, I felt like, you know, this film, it, I, I get it had production problems, but to me, another reason it had production problems is because. Fox, in their infinite wisdom, decided, yeah, Simon Kinberg's been around for a while, This around this franchise for a while. Let, let him handle a blockbuster. And the film looks like garbage. It doesn't, like, the effects look bad. It's not very well shot. It lacks, like, the pacing is off. It doesn't know, it, it has serious tone problems. And it's like, it's this thing where just because you're a guy who's been around a series, that doesn't mean, like, oh, you can also lead this army. Like, to direct, direct a, to make your first feature a blockbuster film when you haven't even done like a short film, like the most Simon K- directing Simon Kinberg has done before First Class was basically uncredited reshoots on Fantastic Four. I would also not be surprised to learn that he also directed some of Days of Future Past and X Men Apocalypse when Brian Singer was off pulling a Brian Singer. Sure, but <laughs> ultimately that doesn't mean like yes, you have a creative vision and are ready. You're ready to take the reins of this franchise. Like it just, it's like he was there and he's like, I'm a big X-Men fan. And I'm like, I bet you are, but it doesn't really matter if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Not to get too into the, like the behind the scenes studio weeds, but as far as I understand it, it was the cast after the X-Men apocalypse experience that kind of rallied around Kinberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like a likable enough guy. I'm not, uh, yeah, this isn't like, I'm not, guessing, I'm not saying like he's a bad guy, but I think his director choices could leave something to be desired. Yeah, I almost feel like it might have been them rallying around like the cause of literally anyone but Brian Singer. <laughs> yeah. Behold, mild like, competence. There, there, he just was on set, and they're like, "Him, we'll take him." And they're like, "Well, it's not Brian Singer," and that's yeah. that was like the entirety of the thing. And, and again, yeah, it's not like Simon Kinberg doesn't. He, he's been a part of this for a while, and I could see the mindset of someone thinking he understands how to make an X Men movie. But but you're right. I don't I don't think you go from zero to the end of a 19 year franchise. And it does show, it shows throughout dark Phoenix, just in terms of like pacing problems, storytelling problems, all the set pieces are like technically good, but you are, they? No- are they technically good? <laughs> like, One of the like, set pieces involves characters crossing a street. 
Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I mean, I just, I just feel like, uh, I don't know. They were in the moment. I was like, oh, these are fun. And then I, if you ask me to name the set pieces, I don't think I could name a single one besides the one on the train, which it was very, very obviously a reshoot. Yes, as evidenced by James McAvoy's bald cap. <laughs> which it stands out not as bad as kate mara's hair in fantastic four or her but wig. what is but what is um yeah i don't i don't know it did it it doesn't seem like and i did a set visit for x-men apocalypse and we did an extended interview with ken berg and he certainly sounds like he knows his shit and even when i was on set watching filming like you could watch like Nicholas Holt was spending the whole time just chatting with Simon Kemberg and Jennifer Lawrence would go over and chat with Simon Kemberg. They were not talking to Brian Singer. So I think that the cast kind of saw him as the, the kind of saving grace of those films. And um, by most accounts, they were the ones who said, if we do another one, you should direct it. And I think from Fox's perspective, if Fox is looking at it and saying like, well, we technically don't have Fassbender, McAvoy, Lawrence or Holt signed to another X-Men movie, but they're saying they'll do it if Simon Kinberg directs it. What could be worse than Brian Singer directing? <laughs> so why not? It's it's just kind of a, a, a bit of a carelessness. And it's, and that carries over to the rest of the film. It's a shrug of a picture. Yeah. Like I can't well, e- I don't even dislike it enough to get mad at it. <laughs> yes. It's yeah, that's my my my. My final thoughts on the film were like, I'm I'm so glad it's like I it wasn't like I was having a bad time. I yeah. was having a perfectly fine time at the movies, but it was just like, man, I'm I'm glad that's over. And and, and I don't even mean that to the entire franchise. I think I like the X Men franchise more than uh, a lot of people. I think a, more than probably the two people I'm talking to right now. I actually no, I actually. I'm an X X Men is the reason I'm like a geeky guy. It was the '90s X Men cartoon, so I'll always have like a special place in my heart for X Men. Like I I I want every X Men movie to be good, and I like I just I feel like they haven't they rarely reach their potential. Yeah, that's very fair, and and yeah, and it it, it on some hand I'm like oh it's unfair they didn't know this was the final chapter, but on the other hand they are straight up marketing it they're like this is it this is the big explosive finale to the x-men franchise and it is it's just like a just a sad trombone noise at the end of this <laughs> long long thing and it's just i don't know it's a bummer. I, I i was mostly just bummed out i left the theater and i was like man that's that's a bummer that film yeah. is just a bummer it's boring, which is the worst sin that that I think. I mean, even X Men Origins Wolf. I would watch watch X Men Origins Wolverine over Dark Phoenix because it is, is it at least it is at least like interestingly bad. It's like oh shit! Remember when they had these like cartoon claws that looked terrible? <laughs> and actually, I think yeah, no, I think you're right. Like at least it's cartoony. Like, and I think there are moments in Dark Phoenix where it is sort of cartoonish, and I'm like, yeah, just be cartoonish. At least I'm entertained. Well, and that's the thing is that so and Dark Phoenix came along at a time when Fox was actually kind of figuring out how they could counter the MCU, which is that, well, the MCU can't make a movie like Deadpool, so let's make Deadpool. And the MCU can't make standalone movies that have nothing to do with each other and don't have to worry about tone interconnectedness. So let's make Logan as well and let's make it R rated. And those were really great gambles. And I liked the diversity of tone and and the kind of like, you know, we don't really care about interconnectivity that much. We can kind of do whatever we want at this point. Um, Even Logan has like nothing to do with the previous Wolverine movies and even like actively ignores plot points from previous Wolverine movies. And it's all the better for it. And so like looking at Dark Phoenix, it felt like, oh, okay, Simon Kimber's making a family drama, which was very clear from the freaking typeface that's like reminds me of the end credits for Avengers Infinity War. It's where it's like, you just watched a serious drama. 
and you didn't even know it. <laughs> and then the, you get to the film, and it's like, well, some scenes are kind of like that, but then some scenes are cartoonish. And like I said, it, it's very strange when Jean Grey is on the lamb, and they're like, oh my god, urgently, we have to get to Jean Grey, we have to go get her, and everyone's in like jeans and t-shirts, and they show up in their full X-Men suit gear, which I feel like is the equivalent of like cops like responding to someone else and showing up in full riot gear and like no 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 we're not gonna hurt you no 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 it's cool but like we're ready to do battle (laughs) so that that just felt strange to me there there's a lot of strange choices and as i said like the eye makeup which shouldn't be a nitpicky thing but like that feels like a first time director thing of like oh you weren't consistently making sure that like okay we're trying to be super serious but it's distracting that sophie turner has fabulous eyeshadow on right now also distracting when Magneto is supposed to be, I believe, in his 60s. Yes. He is a young-looking Holocaust yeah. survivor. He has aged gracefully. And I, I, I didn't even realize that in the moment, but I actually went and rewatched some of the uh, the, the other films, and I, they were just showing the dates. And I was like, well, hold on. <laughs> what year is it? Yes, I, I believe Magneto and Xavier are both supposed to be in their 60s in this film, and they look fantastic. The idea to jump a decade ahead for each of these movies was really stupid. Like, yeah, like it made sense the first time for like, okay, yeah. between we're all, we're going to excise a lot of characters, you know, to go from the 60s to the 70s, that's kind of interesting. And also Days of Future Past is also kind of a future story. So let's let's just change it up. But then to like, but Apocalypse should take place in the 80s and this should take place in the 90s. And like, why? Why? And Why does no that matter? For this movie to take place in the '90s, there is no reason for it. You could have I, said I it was like 1989, and it would be fine. It would have been cool if they like did like a Captain Marvel thing and like made it very '90s. You know, yeah. like, it kind of reminds me of when they released some photos from Apocalypse that was like a cool '80s trip to the mall, and I was like, oh, this is the '80s X-Men movie, and that was like one scene. Yeah, that was it. And they go to the mall so they can rag on Return of the Jedi, <laughs> which. A plus, Brian. <laughs> got him. You got him. <laughs> yeah. It's a I know the joke is that they're actually ragging on Last Stand, but again, Apocalypse blows. So maybe <laughs> maybe cut that joke. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, so what do you guys think about, like, sort of the X-Men franchise overall? Like, have you guys been fans of it? Have you... You know, I, for me, I mean, I, I was super psyched to see X-Men back in 2000. I was still in high school, but like for me, X-Men was, I mean, it was, there were some flaws with it, but I felt it was a satisfactory film. Like it felt like it got the major things that it had to and made concessions where it had to. So like, you know, yes, we can't have them in their original costume, like in their famous costumes because, audiences aren't ready for that yet but you know they got the look of wolverine right even though like hugh jackman looks very different his hair is right his attitude is right like they cast that thing they cast that character perfectly and i think they cast the rest of the film pretty well um and i think that they they leaned into the comic book stuff but balanced it with a sort of seriousness that kind of made it stand apart like x-men is an important movie and in sort of this superhero film world that we live in now yeah i loved x-men when it first came out and it is important it was one of the first to say like well we're gonna try to make this as realistic as possible and it doesn't go to the lengths of like batman begins 
But that was at the point where like there was no formula for how to make a superhero movie. And between X Men and Spider Man, it was like, oh, okay, like that's a that's kind of a, a logical way to adapt kind of this cartoonish, exaggerated characters into um, movies that make sense. But uh, when it came out, I was obsessed with it. Uh, I I was a huge fan of the cartoon series, uh, and I remember buying the double disc DVD set that had a big X on the front that opened up. That was super cool, uh, and like really loving the cliffhanger of like, ooh, what happens next? Like, what's going to happen to Wolverine? That's really cool. Uh, I think it, it doesn't hold up near as well as maybe something like uh, Sam Raimi's Spider Man, but I I still think it's I think you I think you're right. It got the casting right. Um, and it's still pretty fun in spots. Uh, it's just a little dated, but I don't think that's the movie's fault. No. I, uh, I, I think I, I really like the entire X-Men franchise as a whole. I, I, I don't know where that falls in popular opinion, but I think there's more good in the X-Men franchise than bad. The problem is that the bad stuff is like horrendously bad. And it's yeah. just sort of, and then there's the whole behind the scenes stuff, which just sort of taint. It's just like that, that, brian singer stank that hangs over everything and it's like, <laughs> that's not entirely this this cast fault the cast has always been great but i i think overall i don't know how you can measure success of a superhero franchise these days because everyone's like well it's not the avengers it's not going to be the highest yeah. movie of all time but I, I think in terms of just like I, I don't know if longevity is important these days i don't know if consistent quality is important these days because it's not consistent if it's one thing the franchise is not it's it's definitely not consistent but i think the the highs for me like the the logans and the the days of future past and stuff like that are worth it for the apocalypses it's like it's <laughs> like i it, it's kind of like we, we got maybe as good of an x a live action x-men as is possible and that to me is important when it's when it's hard you look at the fantastic four and it's like no one has figured out how to how to do that no one has figured out how to do a live action fantastic four but yeah. we did get a live action x-men and that is kind of amazing when you think about it and yet i still feel like there's room for improvement like i feel like they got the basics of it down but i still feel like we've had how many x-men movie we've had 12 they still haven't done storm right we haven't had a decent storm yet yeah. We haven't had, I would say, like, I mean, I guess Alan Cumming is an all right Nightcrawler, but I don't think he really captures the character. Like, for some reason, they make that character very brooding and very sort of um, self-loathing, when in the comics he's very fun and lighthearted, which ties in with his power, which is, you know, bamfs around everywhere. Um, I don't think they've really nailed Nightcrawler either. Um, I just feel like there's... They they're getting there with some of the characters, and I think some of the for some of the characters they absolutely did get there. Like Wolverine, they got there, but other times it's sort of like I don't know who this guy is, or I needed to adjust this person to be this part to play this role in the cast, so it didn't really work out. So I feel still feel there's room for improvement. I I like it overall. Um, I think I probably like. I don't know. I, I haven't done like the math, but I probably like more of the movies than I don't. And I think it's it's a pretty stunning achievement that it's lasted for nearly twenty years, um, and it's still going on. I mean, there are certainly pitfalls. I think they got too enamored of Wolverine um, and too obsessed with Wolverine, and like Wolverine, everything. Wolverine's got to be the main thing. Um, 
But I think that, like, I think X2 is a really great sequel. I think it, it works really well. And I guess it's popular now to shit on X2, but I still like X2. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when the... I go back and forth on changed. X2. I, my most recent watching, I was like, eh, this isn't working as well as I hoped. But I still like it. You're a cuck. Okay, I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, then. Uh, the Last Stand, even I knew that was not great when I saw it when it first came out. Um, but it's it's not it's not terrible. I mean, to me, the, the high point is still first class. Like, that's the one that, um, I mean, I, I just think it was such a really interesting reinvention of the franchise, kind of. Yeah. And we never really got back to that, aside from the Wolverine movies. But, like, the main X-Men franchise just kind of got bogged down again with the brian singer of it all and i enjoy days of future past but it feels like a brian singer x-men movie and i I would have liked to have seen matthew vaughn continue on or a different filmmaker come in and put a different spin because just the whole flavor of first class is completely different from any of the other main x-men movies yeah i think the 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 big debate i've been seeing is first class versus days of future past and i thought i like days of future past a little better i i mean personally i just really like time romps that's why I, I, that's like a very specific genre that i'm like yep i'm in they're romping <laughs> through time that's why i like when they when they first said they were going through time in endgame i was like yep it's a time romp it's a time <laughs> romp i'm here for it so i don't know if that's just me but i having rewatched both of them recently you're right first class feels like a completely different thing than all the other ones and that that has that has its benefits but i, I there's just something about days of future past that felt like the only event movie of the entire franchise, which is yeah. kind of insane when you when you realize it's a 19 year, 12, 12 movie franchise. And that to me, I was like, well, this is the only one that they really were like, this is the big one. And that's kind of weird because they kind of tried to do that with Dark Phoenix, too. They're like, here we go. The big Dark Phoenix event. And it's they made it worse because it's such a small, nothing movie. <laughs> well, even Apocalypse, too. They're like, this is going to be our epic. Like, this is going to be a world ending epic with world ending stakes. And I can't remember the world being in very much jeopardy in that movie, or or at least caring about it. I think like Magneto starts to rip the world apart, like from like he cre- creates like a worldwide earthquake, and uh, then yeah. and then he's like, "No, nah, I don't want to do that." And then they're like, "Thanks, <laughs> Magneto," and then they all fight Apocalypse and they get him. And then Magneto, who is responsible for the deaths of millions of people, goes and helps them build a house. <laughs> That, is, that then, is one of the big the big failings of the entire franchise. Is like Magneto keeps getting off with all of these horrible mass murders, but then like at the end, it's like, well, Michael Fassbender is very handsome, and they just sort yeah. of like gape eye on that. But yeah, Magneto is responsible for like some truly atrocious things, but like he's always coming back, and he's like one more game of chess, and then it's like that's the, <laughs> that's, the that's the fail. Yeah, <laughs> a round of chess. Ah, ah, that so Magneto. Insane. His anger is adorable as opposed to Jean's, which is dangerous and we have to, <laughs> we have to kill her. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think... I, like that's the thing when, can we start going to spoilers now for dark Phoenix? Cause like, I would, love I, want, to. <laughs> I, d- I did want to talk about the Wolverine stuff. So All right, let's talk about the Wolverine that... stuff and then I'll get back to the anger. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I think that that's a really interesting and curious sidetrack. And the, and in truth, the only sidetrack that the X-Men franchise ever took, I mean, they were planning. Um, so X-Men origins, Wolverine was supposed to be the first of multiple like origin movies. They wrote X-Men origins, Magneto, and that script was basically Frankenstein into first class. And I think that's part of why first class is so fun is because it's really like they picked apart 
this Magneto origin story and took the best parts of it that were written. And that's why Magneto is so interesting in that movie. Um, uh, and I think it works again. I'm sorry. I'm fawning over first class again. Um, <laughs> and then you get to the Wolverine, which I think is two thirds tremendous. Uh, and then it just devolves into an X-Men movie at the end, which is a bummer. I, uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned this a little bit in the piece I have on the site right now, but the, the crazy thing to me is that I think Wolverine Origins is like the wor- by far the worst X-Men movie, but the opening sequence with them fighting through time is like yeah. one of my favorite things in all of superhero movies. You so and your fucking me, time romps. No, it's a great sequence. They yeah, show, I, just, I remember they showed <laughs> us that sequence at freaking Comic-Con there, and we were like, oh, Nice. But it's cool. It's interesting to me that the ideas were there. They definitely always had ideas. It's just they, they, the execution of these movies was always a little off, but the ideas were always there. Yeah, until you get to Logan, where they finally let James Mangold off the leash, and they're like, okay, do whatever you want. Yeah. And he gets to make a serious drama. Um, and I'll also never forget Scott Frank, who co-wrote The Wolverine and Logan, uh, revealed he's never seen an X-Men movie. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't give a shit. And so, like, that's why James Mangold would bring him in and be like, all right, help me write this. And, like, he doesn't know any. He'd, like, ask questions like, so what's this thing again? Who's this person? Which I think is just hilarious. Um, but Logan doesn't even feel like a superhero movie to me. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It, 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 it is a drama that happens to have a superhero in it. Yeah. And it's really good, but it's just so emotionally draining. I haven't really had a desire to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I watched it in theaters like back to back two times, like two days, two days at Logan. And I was just like weeping. <laughs> I don't think I've watched it again, but I will always be like, yeah, Logan's great. I, I cried so much. And I was like, what'd you like about it? I'm like, I don't remember. I was crying. <laughs> but yeah, that, was, that would be like, is it, you're right. It's just emotionally draining. But I, I it was like an experience because it doesn't feel anything like an x-men movie or a superhero movie but i I do remember it being quite the experience in theaters and i i I do need to revisit it asap where do you guys fall on the wolverine i'm with you i think the first two-thirds are pretty great and then when it's like and now you're gonna fight a guy in a giant samurai suit and i'm like what is this (laughs) what is this nonsense i think it would have been better as a time romp yeah (laughs) (laughs) true samurai through the ages (laughs) But no, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I think it was it was headed towards being an all-timer of the franchise, and then they were like, all right, we got to do this mutant stuff. And then they did the, all the mutant stuff, and it was like, ah, you, you were on the right – it was so on the right track that the, that end is such a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about uh, Dark Phoenix spoilers. So Magneto gets to be, like, angry, like, all the time. Like, that's his thing. It's like Magneto's an angry guy, and then it's like – Oh, Phoenix is out there and she's power, really powerful. And she is also angry. And Magneto is like, we got to kill her. We got to kill that bitch. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you're angry all the time and you've killed millions. Like, why don't we kill you, Magneto? Like, why don't, why do you get to live on your freaking hippie commune? But Jean Grey over here has to freaking bite it. Who, why do you get to make that call? What were they doing in that? farm mutant land like what was the <laughs> like do they just live in the woods like that's the ideal scenario for mutants like i they i think they tried to paint it as this like idyllic like safe haven for mutants but they are they're just like toiling in the soil out in the middle of nowhere and that was like that's not the vision magneto had for no for like mutants. exactly like magneto just like gave up on his thing like his whole thing was like we're the better we're we are the evolution of humanity and we deserve to rule 
Like that. They're just living in tree houses, and it's. And I think that's a big problem with the whole. All these movies need to be ten years apart because his big, his big decision to go kill Jean Grey is because she killed Mystique. But like, I don't think Magneto and Mystique have been in touch for ten years. I, I don't think that relationship is still. Yeah, even he's if like, ha! Huh, you killed that woman I boned in the nineteen sixties. Well, you gotta die. Did they bone in first class? Yeah, it's implied. I don't remember <laughs> that. All right. It's implied throughout the years. I don't think it's ever uh, confirmed. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they did because she's in his bed in first class and he's like, get out. And she's like, well, what if I look like this? And he's like, no. And then she turns blue and he's like, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think his exact line in first class is maybe in a couple years, which is like horrendously creepy. And like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. I thought they had sex. Either way, they're not like it, like you said. By jumping ahead ten years, how close can they be? Yeah, exactly. And that's his big that like I. Without that, he doesn't really have any purpose to be in the movie. Which again, I I get. People want the Michael Fassbender Magneto. I want the Michael Fassbender Magneto. I think he's a very interesting character. But they they just didn't give any good reason why he should be in the film other than oh, you killed Mystique. Now I'm now I'm involved. Here's the thing. If you really like if this movie had money and like and Fox really in, like I mean it I mean it has some money. It doesn't seem to have enough. But what if they did like if they wanted to go really 90s with it? What if like Magneto was living off on Asteroid M, you know, and that's where the Dark Phoenix comes in. If you're going to go cosmic, go cosmic and have him living on a freaking asteroid with other mutants, not on like an island where they live in tree houses. Well, that's the problem with Dark Phoenix overall. It's just not weird at all. It should be this like crazy outer space like alien I, I almost said romp. I want all my movies to be romps, but I, I just feel like it's just not, it's, it's, it's a very straightforward telling of this giant epic space yeah. monster. And it feels adventure. like Simon Kenberg kept hedging. He's like, well, Marvel, like if we do that, like it'll be too much like Guardians or it'll be too much like Captain Marvel or it'll be too much like Civil War. I'm like, just tell your fucking story. Just tell it. <laughs> and if you tell it well, no one's going to be like, well, like, I mean... Honestly, all the X-Men films do blend together a little bit because most of them just end with mutants fighting mutants. But no one's like saying, don't make X-Men movies. Yeah, it's funny that he was like, I don't want my superhero movie to be too similar to other superhero movies, as if that's never happened before, as if as if superhero movies aren't all similar. Like you can compare the two films, but just just do the right thing and no one's going to be mad. But now they reshot it. The end of this movie is set on a train, which I think is like the least interesting place to have an action scene. Yeah, I don't. So the the I don't understand the any of it. Like it feels like they started the movie with Jessica Chastain's character playing one person, and then decided in the middle to change it to something like more amorphous or something. But none of it makes sense. And I also felt like they were lying, and then it turned out they weren't lying. And I was like, then what was that for? When they were like, oh, the Phoenix Force killed our planet and we just need it back. And I was like, did it kill their planet? Are they lying? Do yeah. Like, is that their thing? But no, it was like, yeah, no, it killed their planet. So, you know, take our word it's, for it. It's very confusing that the villain's reason for being there is that she says, this thing destroyed our planet. We want it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, so let me like if I if I'm trying to walk this through. The Phoenix destroyed your planet, but it also has the power to restore a planet, and you're going to use that to make Earth your new planet with a power that killed everything it came in contact with <laughs> until it met Gene. And then if Gene, that you can get Gene to help you, great. But if not, 
you don't need her. You can just take it for yourself. Except it kills everything. It comes like what is what is the Phoenix? Your movie is yeah. called Dark Phoenix. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it, the movie only shows the Phoenix like vaguely blowing things up. But everyone's like, yes, it's this all pipe. We can use it to build a planet. It's like I haven't seen it fix anything. I've only seen it just like vaguely knock down walls and like throw people through the air. Like I have not seen any reason why you would want the Phoenix. Yeah, it it doesn't really track. And remember when they were like teasing like, oh, this movie is going to go cosmic. It doesn't go cosmic. No, they go to space when they get called up on the X-Men phone. And then (laughs) I laughed so hard when I saw the X-Men phone and I knew it was coming too. Um, But the, yeah, yeah, it's not cosmic in the slightest. Like there are aliens and they go to space and there's like, they're in space at the beginning. That's as cosmic as it gets. I have a a feeling that's, I think the end of that movie was originally supposed to be in space. It, yeah. it felt like it, it felt like it was it was headed that way. So it's this like big space thing. But again, I I, I saw that they were on a train. And I was like, we're doing a train. That's what we're doing. It, 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 it just it, again, the the whole movie feels like a letdown. But the end of the movie itself, the last third act of the film, is like just the biggest nothing in a superhero movie I've ever seen. Because yeah. like, it doesn't help that none, I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys remember the putties from the Power Rangers series. These like yes, yeah. When you the, hit them in the Z, they explode or they die. I don't know. That's what these like faceless, nameless aliens remind me of. There was just like an ex, a, a weird amount of them. They just kept popping out of nowhere. They'd get like disintegrated, and then that was it. And it was like, who? What are these things? And why are there so many of them? I thought their planet got destroyed. Are they bulletproof? Are they like kind of bulletproof? Like they seem. Well, and then to... they were like, "There's only so many of them left," but they keep sacrificing themselves. And then Dark Phoenix or like Jean Grey pulls a genocide in the yeah. end. Like, does she or does she not pull a genocide? I mean, I... did they genocide themselves? <laughs> the self genocide. Yeah. Can, I, can I, you I... self genocide if you like <laughs> come at something that? and that it kills you? Yeah, maybe. What about the all the like uh, the stuff with her father and the like memory stuff? That felt like just a, a like an attempt to like emotionally invest because you didn't get a ton of Jean Grey and X Men Apocalypse. That just didn't like. Did it work for you guys? Did did that? No, track? it feels cheap and empty. Okay. I'm not alone. Yeah, especially. I mean, the first the first scene of the movie should be very powerful but it's like so focused on doing a dope car crash i know yeah. right oh it's there so are like gross. three shots of the car flying through the air then there's like four more shots of the mom's head hitting the window and i was like wow they really wanted to do like the most violent car crash ever when really all you did to do is is tell us that jean gray accidentally killed her mother which is like incredibly sad that's not something i would want to happen to anyone but the, the, it's just so so focused on doing this like eight angle car crash that I was like, okay, uh, please enough with the heads crashing against the window. Yeah. Like (laughs) I don't need to see people die horribly in a car crash to know that like, Oh, it would traumatize a small child. Well, the, it, it reminded me the best version of that scene that maybe I've ever seen is in Pete's dragon, the new one, the Uh, David Love, where it just keeps on the kid in the back. The camera doesn't cut to anything else. It's only on the kid in the back. And it's, it's really traumatizing. You don't actually see the kind of carnage or anything. It's really, I think, and if you want to do it like in a quick way, I think baby driver does it really well too. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's a that's a good one as well. Good murder crash. I'm just saying for traumatizing kids who are in car crashes. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I would say Jessica Chastain gets a little more to work with here than Oscar Isaac did in X Men Apocalypse, but that's not. I mean, she much. doesn't have to be. She doesn't have to be under a lot of horrible makeup. But yeah. at the same time, like her character is nothing, and I'm kind of I don't, baffled. I don't she know was if like, yes, true. let's me work with Simon Kinberg again for three five five. Like I, I, I don't know if she got more to work with than Oscar Isaac. I, I truly sitting here right now, having like went over to watch the movie, looked into the movie. I have no idea what her name was, where <laughs> she was from, like what she wanted. Like she, I think they just cast Jessica Chastain and like hope for the best. And she does, she does. She's obviously Jessica Chastain. She does her best with it. But it's like, I, I, I could not tell you what Jessica Chastain's character was doing, did like what her point was. And that's, I also think the film is kind of unintentionally sexist because of Chastain's character. Like Chastain is like you, like she's this powerful woman telling Jean Grey, you can be a powerful woman. And the resolution is, is that you just need an apology from your daddy figure, Xavier. Well, the movie really wants to be about professor X as which, which, which was very obvious at the end when they were like, Oh, Jean's dead, but professor X is retired in France. <laughs> like, it was just like, 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 thank you for that resolution. But, like, I, I, I feel like it's so clearly supposed to be a Jean Grey story, but it's so clearly not. That just, that, that tonal shift just, it, the movie had no chance if it wasn't going to be a Jean Grey story. Yeah. And it couldn't be a Jean Grey story because that character had never been established. Yeah. So I did I did read that uh, apparently Chastain's character changed a lot during production. And I remember she like Instagrammed a picture of her character or something and said Lalandra. And apparently like Kinberg was drawing from Lalandra and like maybe Mastermind or something and then decided to change it into something else. So like clearly it did like something just got lost in translation. Into fan favorite Buck. <laughs> yes. Buck that. Which and this is not to say that like I mean the reshoots in this aren't great but they're not terrible but they don't really fix the problems of the movie but this isn't to say that reshoots like that can't uh, like I think World War Z is one of the best examples of like that finale is very intimate and very quiet and much smaller scale and it works really well at that third act was the best part of that entire movie yeah I I definitely think there are some people who labor under under the belief that if a film does not if a production is not a hundred percent smooth with no reshoots and no rewrites that then, you know, those are the only good movies and the bad movies are the ones that have rewrites and reshoots. And that's like how a studio head thinks because rewrites and reshoots cost money, but that doesn't necessarily mean they make them film bad. It's just, you know, filmmaking is a process. So dark Phoenix isn't bad because it had a lot of rewrites and a lot of reshoots. It's bad because it's bad. Like there are, it has foundational problems. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a bummer, but I'm you know, all in an ideal world we'd get good X Men movies, and you know Fox and Disney would still be separate studios, but we don't live in that world. So when we get an X Men movie again, it'll be a Marvel Studios film. Godspeed, Kevin Feige. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be it. it uh, not only are you coming off of like a couple of disappointing X-Men movies, but like that's an iconic franchise that has been going for a long time now. Yeah. So almost 20 have, years. 
Yeah, so you have a lot of history to contend with. So I think it'll be a while before we see a rebooted X-Men on the screen, especially given the box office of Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I'm... It, it's just... Whatever happened with the whole merger, huge bummer. I am very intrigued what a Marvel X-Men movie looks like because yeah. part of the appeal of the X-Men was that it, it felt like a like a like just a, a movie with the X-Men in it. It's going to be weird to see the X-Men in a Marvel formula film because like the whole point of the X-Men is like, you know, they don't belong. They're not a part of that world. So I, I'm interested to see if they they do like a weird thing with it. If they if they're ever open to doing like a Logan Marvel movie or like a, a, a reboot like First Class was or if they're just going to be like the X-Men are in the MCU now. It, it, it's going to be I don't think the, the integrating the X-Men is going to be a smooth process and. Marvel isn't really used to like not going smoothly, so it'll be very interesting to watch over the next, you know, fifty years of our lives. There, yes. there are two things I want to see from a new X Men movie. First, I want to see a non-white male director. There have been twelve of these, all directed by white dudes, and the fact that Brian Singer is gay, that diversity is kind of canceled out with him allegedly, you know, sexually assaulting a bunch of people. So I'm not going to count that as a victory. Uh, so it'd be nice if there was actually some diversity behind the camera because of point two, the X-Men movies need to be about something. The X-Men films were born out of the civil rights movement. They are about how do you, you know, approach a world. If you are different, how do you approach a world that is against you? And it's kind of crazy. Like we haven't gotten like really gotten like friends of humanity yet, which is like in the comics are like humans that are, you know, you know, they say they're friends of humanity, but they're just racist. Like that's who they're supposed to be. They're, they're bigots. Um, that would be pretty timely right now. Um, so I would like to sort of see that kind of film, like, and my, that's my concern. Like sometimes Marvel will make a movie that's about something like Black Panther is about something. Guardians of the Galaxy volume two is about something. Um, but sometimes the movies aren't about anything. And that's my concern with X-Men. Like, will it be, will it really be a film that keeps the subtext of the property intact or will it be like, look at mutants, aren't mutants fun? It will probably be that. Yeah, uh, if I if I had to guess, but but you're right. I I do have I have optimism when it comes to because I I think by now Marvel has proven that they at least have a handle on how to do things on a, at a base level. So I don't think it'll be bad. But I you're right. I I, I just want to see the X Men finally like like have a at like undoubtedly out of the park like home run version of the X Men. I feel, I feel like. That's what the world needs right now. I agree. Indeed. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to, to recently watched. Uh, Vinny, what have you seen lately that you want to talk about? Uh, the only thing I want to talk about is Booksmart because the, I, I recently saw Booksmart because everyone was telling me to go see Booksmart. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll go see Booksmart. And it was like the exact antidote to like everything that I needed right now. Like it's just <laughs> such a pure joke. Like if you want to not have to like debate why a movie is good go see book smart because it's just like an innately joyous movie and I, I i want more movies like that you know like i love i love all these giant movies i was so excited for uh godzilla like there's always room for giant monsters in my world but just like a simple joyous comedy i think there should always be room for that so i i cannot recommend people go see book smart enough and I, I I think it's important that people go see Booksmart because I, I think there should always be a room for a movie like that, and it's not doing so hot. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I have to keep <laughs> seeing movies like oh, Dark damn. Phoenix to talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> I have, I feel like I owe you an apology. Like, don't go see Dark... You could have been in here like, guys, I know I was supposed to see Dark Phoenix, but I went to go see Booksmart instead, and I would have been like, good for you. <laughs> and I had you a did, good time. And you you yeah. did the right thing. I, I know you can't talk about the sad. movie now, but go see Booksmart. I would have been very upset if the fire alarm went off during Booksmart. It was a very, <laughs> very different experience than Dark Phoenix. That's fair. Uh, Adam, what have you seen lately? Uh, well, I had HBO on the other day, as as I often do, and Behind the Candelabra came on, which I had seen before, and I thought it was okay, uh, and I'm a massive Soderbergh fan, but I kind of got sucked into watching it again, and I liked it a lot more. Um, it's just so fun, and Matt Damon and Michael Douglas are so good in that movie, um, and there are so many just delightful moments. I mean, every time Rob Lowe is on screen in that movie... Uh, is incredible but just i don't know it's 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 a weird movie um and i'm glad that it finally got made at hbo i know that soderbergh damon and douglas tried for years to set it up at studios and no one wanted to do it um but but yeah i i thought it was minor soderbergh and maybe it's still kind of middle of the road soderbergh but i i just kind of i really got sucked into it and i kind of had a blast just revisiting it and it was yet another reminder that like i maybe we undervalue matt damon I mean, I also watched The Informant uh, a few months ago, and he is just astoundingly good in that movie. Um, like, when he's on, like, when he's given the right material, he is just otherworldly and so funny. So, if you haven't seen Behind the Candelabra, I, I would have check. not seen Behind the Candelabra. And I feel like it would be extremely your shit. It's very spooky. And do they cute. travel through time at all? They do not travel through time. <laughs> In that the movie moves forward, aren't we all traveling through time, really, when you think about it? Matt, no, shut yeah, up. That's something, <laughs> that's something I will for sure check out. It's very fun. So. Um, for me, uh, my wife and I last night uh, rewatched The Breakfast Club because uh, we hadn't watched it in a while. And the last time I saw it was in high school, and I didn't really relate to it that much at the time, oddly enough, because it's hard to sort of see what it's doing when you're in it. Also, I didn't, my, my, my high school wasn't as clicky as the, the 1980s high school of the breakfast club. But what I like about it is that it, what it hits upon is that even though everyone feels very different and feels like a complete outsider, even though they might have their own friend groups, uh, what the breakfast club shows is like the things that you like, the things that you're feeling that your parents don't understand you, that the pressure to succeed, the, the need to conform, the need to be accepted. These are all things that are actually universal. And I think the sort of the magic trick of the breakfast club is that it makes that those revelations feel comforting rather than reductionist. It doesn't make you feel small. It makes you feel empowered, oddly enough to know that you're not alone. And I think that's sort of the magic trick of the movie. Uh, if I have one major qualm against it is I don't buy the romances at the end. I don't think it's really necessary. Um, I also think the film kind of runs away from the hard truth that, yeah, on Monday, these people aren't going to acknowledge each other. And that's okay because, again, the message of the film is that you're not alone, you know, in what you're feeling. People from com- who you would never interact with in your normal social day-to-day are actually going through the same thing. And that's okay. So I, I like The Breakfast Club. Um, I just have some issues with the ending. 
I really love that movie. I, and I think it holds up pretty well. I mean, the, uh, we talked, we did a whole podcast about Molly Ringwald's essay about kind of the sexual politics of some of those 80s John Hughes movies. And I don't think that they, I think it's important to acknowledge them, but I don't think that they negate um, kind of the positive and the good mm-hmm. of those movies. I would be very interested to get the thoughts of like modern day high school students on yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. Like, what, like if you, if you're graduating this year, like what does, like the breakfast club look like to you a film where, you know, in a weird way, it feels like it would still be timely because every one in that film is con- like, it's all about what do you see on the outside? And I think today that's that I don't know. While perhaps, you know, social strata isn't as clearly defined in terms of clicks, that might be different. I do think as that, evidenced by 21 jump street and Channing Tater committing a hate crime. Exactly. <laughs> Did I say Channing Tater? Yes, but we're going to go with that. That's his new name now, <laughs> Channing Tater. Um, the idea that, like, with social media and, like, the, your profile, like, I think eighth grade, like, that speaks to that, like, how desperately you are to sort of construct your identity. Um, I was thinking about eighth grade a lot, the movie, um, as I watched uh, Breakfast Club. Uh, but I think that that need to sort of, like, this is who I am, but you're not seeing who I actually am. I think that still holds true. I think, you you know, teenagers today would still get something out of Breakfast Club. It's interesting, though. You, you kind of mentioned this. I don't know how much you can, like, understand what Breakfast Club is doing while you're in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, while you're, like, while you're Breakfast Clubbing. Like, I, I don't think... It, There's it, definitely a, a gulf there. It's hard to yeah. see it while you're in it. Like I, I just feel like I remember in in high school I was like, well, yeah, everything's fine. I mean, life is fine. But then you sort of look back at the Breakfast Club and you're like, wow, there was like a lot more going on in that ecosystem than like you possibly could be aware of. And that's just, I guess that's you know hindsight 2020. But with eighth grade, which is a movie I absolutely that was like my favorite movie of 2018. I almost feel like that movie should be shown to like people in eighth grade because I, I feel like that movie is genuinely helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you, like if you watch eighth grade, you as a, as a kid, you'll come away like feeling better. Whereas the breakfast club, you're at that age. You're just sort of like that. That's not what my life is like. Yeah. But it is. So yeah, it, it's interesting because it's, there's not that big of a gulf between eighth grade and the senior year of high school, but there is. And, and I think that that is where we'll leave it. Um, well, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you should follow us on uh, Twitter. Uh, Vinny, where can we find you on Twitter? Um, at Vinny Mancuso one. Do not forget the one because there is an at Vinny Mancuso. He has zero followers. I don't know who he is, but <laughs> Vinny Mancuso one is where I am. It's me. I stole it. So you couldn't have it. <laughs> like 10 years ago. How dare you? Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.